Today I want to speak on the subject matter maturity in prayer. Maturity in prayer. How many of you know that we need to pray prayers that get results? And I've looked at my life and I've seen that God has answered so many of my prayers. And I see some people praying, wanting breakthrough, but never getting breakthrough. And I'm saying, well, what's happening? Some years ago, I think it was the end of 99, I went to a particular nation. And I said, God, why is this nation going through what it's going through? And yet, if you look at the intercessors and you look at the prayer that is taking place, it's amazing on the outside. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, Paul, they are praying, they're zealous, but they're not praying properly. And it was in that time, I think it was in about 2000, when he started to teach me certain principles around praying to get results. And how many of you know that if you're immature as a praying person, you'll pray prayers that don't get results? I've got 18 key differences between the immature prayer and the mature prayer. I will deal with nine of them. I can see some people are getting nervous. I'll deal with nine of them today and I will deal with the other nine next week. Are you ready? Are you steady, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> I know some, one of, some of the single people are thinking, I don't know if I'm steady with him yet. We just, I've always wondered about that when people say, we are now steady. What were you before? <laughs> uh, we are now steady. What were you before? Anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 11. It says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a, a child. I used to also think like a child, reason like a child. That's a whole message there. Speaking like a child, thinking like a child, reasoning like a child. There are a lot of Christians who've been Christians for years, but when it comes to their Christianity, they are speaking like children, they are thinking like children, and they are reasoning like children. There's a way in which an adult, a grown-up reasons. There's a way in which a grown-up speaks. There's a way in which a grown-up speaks. Then he says, when I became a man, I did away with childish things. This morning we're going to be doing away with childish things as they pertain to our prayer life. And one of the things about prayer is that when you're immature in your prayer life, it's a reflection of your general immaturity spiritually. When you're immature in your prayer life, it's a reflection of your general immaturity spiritually. You can't say I'm a mature Christian but immature in prayer. Because prayer is central to our walk with Jesus. Can I hear an amen? amen? So let me explain to you what immaturity looks like. The first thing is you only pray about things relating to yourself. I touched on some of these at Ignite. But there's a, there's a whole lot more. You only pray about things relating to yourselves. You only come to prayer meetings when it's to do with personal breakthrough. 
We've seen it happen when we send out those SMSs saying we've got Ignite happening and then we just add in partly to advertise and we just throw in, we'll be praying for pre personal breakthrough tonight. And what happens? The numbers go up. I want to ask you a question. Do you pray with as much enthusiasm when you're praying for your, for, for your nation or your city or your church as you do when you're praying for personal breakthrough? We're talking about immaturity versus maturity. You know what is so interesting is the Bible tells me, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Could it be that we're spending too much time seeking the things instead of seeking first his kingdom? I'm shocked by the number of Christians who come, Pastor, I need this breakthrough. Pastor, I need this breakthrough. When they should actually be trying to figure out how can I seek first the kingdom? How can I actually put God first in my life? The Lord spoke to my wife some time ago, a couple of years ago, where he said to her, take care of what's mine and I'll take care of what's yours. So what does her focus have to be? Let me take care of what belongs to God and all my stuff will be taken care of. Amen? When you become strong in terms of what we, what's called listening prayer, when you're listening to the Lord Jesus, you begin to ask him questions. And a wise question to ask is, God, what does seeking first the kingdom look like in my life? God, yes, I want these other things, but I want to make sure that I'm seeking first your kingdom. What does it look like in my life? What I find interesting is that the devil is aware of this tendency in us. That we will only come to church because we want that blessing. That's why there are many crowds in many places. Look at the places that are crowded with a lot of people. And I'm not saying they necessarily preach a bad word, but I'm saying that sometimes it's not a balanced diet. Because you see, sometimes church becomes like a fast food service. We end up having a consumerism in the church. What do I mean by consumer mentality? Consumer mentality is when people only come to a church service because of what they want to get out of it, not what they want to contribute. I believe that part of our maturity as believers is we become contributors. Can I hear an amen? amen. The mindset that says this is my role in the kingdom as a harvester. I'm seeking first the kingdom. Just think about it. Many places would shut down in the body of Christ today if the minister stopped preaching about how people can get their needs met. How many of you know that after you are fixed, after you become healthy, after you become prosperous, surely you should be doing something for Jesus. Yes. Now you see a lot of people, they come in and it's like, I want my breakthrough. And guess what happens? They leave after their breakthrough. God genuinely blesses them because God responds to faith. And he loves it. He loves it when we're believing him for stuff, even stuff to do with ourselves. But I've seen many people backslide after the break breakthrough. There are many people, many people who used to come to this church, who've come to this church, we've seen, we've prophesied, we've decreed, we've declared things and so on. Testimonies have come out, but they've since backslidden. Why? Their mentality was immature. Their mentality was, gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. Not this Jimmy. <laughs> So 
So the devil is aware of this. He's aware that human beings very often do religious activities because of what they want to get out of it. That's why he went to God, didn't he? When Job was tested, what's the background to that? Let's read it. Job chapter 1, verse 6 to 11. Job chapter 1, verse 6 to 11. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? It's amazing. God likes asking us questions, isn't it? Even when he already knows the answer. Anyway. From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around it. That's what the devil is doing, isn't it? We see that in the New Testament, right? He's seeking whom he may devour. He can't devour anyone and everyone. But there are people he may devour. Why? Because he looks and sees, can he get a foothold? That's a whole, whole nother message. From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Why did God say that to Satan? Because God knows how Satan operates. That the reason he's roaming the earth to and fro is he's looking out to see who he can consider. Checking out. Popping in. Okay, let me see. Okay, that couple over there, what are the gaps, cracks, and leakages? Okay, Cindy. Mm, yeah. Okay, in the past, what have issues been? Okay, maybe we can raise that thing again. Okay, Mache, how's he? Right. That's what he's doing. Based on our past, based on our history. Now, watch this. It's very powerful. <coughs> have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth. Isn't it wonderful when God can boast about you? Do you think God looks at us and sometimes just says, you know what? Have you considered my servant Jimmy? Have you considered my servant Sese? Have you considered my servant Lina? Now I feel pressure to mention everyone. Have you considered my servant uh, Lysias? Uh, now I'll start picking people with rejection issues so I can include them. Have you considered my No, jokes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So, so, so watch this. He says, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord. Watch this. Does Job fear God for nothing? Does Busi fear God for nothing? Does Kotso fear God for nothing? You see, he knows how we operate as human beings. And he's saying, wait a minute, we, these guys, they're just in it for what they want to get out of it. Right? And so he goes through a testing process, and that's how God operates. If you want to go to your next level, you need to be tested. He doesn't tempt you like my wife was teaching. He tests you. This is God. Right? Now watch this. Does Job fear God for nothing? Verse 10. Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Which shows me that Satan was roaming, but he couldn't penetrate when it came to Job because of that hedge. Now the Bible tells us, be careful of sticking your hand through the hedge because you will be bitten by a snake. How many of you know that there are hedges? There are places of immunity around us. 
Now watch this. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Can you see how history repeats itself? Because we've seen many people, the moment they have difficulty, the moment that breakthrough turns south and doesn't work out, the moment they don't have the thing they've been crying out to God for, what do they do? Let me just curse God and die. I speak to people, I counsel people, where people will say, Paul, we don't know what to do anymore because we do this. Then they start going to their righteous acts. We tithe, we give, we pray. I attend every seminar. I listen to my pastors. I don't gossip about you guys. <laughs> right? Lord, I've done all these wonderful things, but I haven't got that breakthrough. Could it be that you were at the edge of your breakthrough, but now you are bitter with God? We're talking about maturity in prayer. The mature prayer person doesn't go that route. The immature one goes that route. Now let's carry on. It's interesting because it says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. It's like Satan was excited about this. It's like, oh, okay. Because he likes doing that type of stuff. But I love the way God speaks because it's like you're so confident in Job. Could it be that you're also being tested with regards to this? You see, the immature praying person only prays when times are difficult. Only prays when they're under pressure to pray because of the thing that they want. And once they've got it, they relax. The person who's mature in prayer carries the Lord's burdens. How many of you know that it's easier to pray when you have to release a burden? It's easier to pray when you're carrying the burden of the Lord and now when you're in intercession, you're releasing that burden. It's very difficult to pray from a place where there's no burden. Carrying God's burden and intercessory prayer work hand in hand. Is everyone following? But how many of you know that if you're carrying your own burdens, it's practically impossible to also carry the Lord's burden? So to mature in prayer, we have to make ourselves available to the Lord Jesus to say, Lord, what are your burdens for me to carry? And then he places them on us and we begin to pray them. Could it be that we're not fully aware of what's on God's heart because we're consumed with what's on our heart? Could it be that we're not carrying what's on God's agenda because we've got our own agenda? We're talking about maturity in prayer. The mature prayer warrior is one who makes himself available to carry the burden of the Lord. Do you ever have it in your life of prayer where you suddenly find yourself praying for Scotland? Make yourself available to do that. Because maybe God is waiting for someone who can pray for Scotland. But because you kind of think I've got nothing to do with Scotland... 
Now, if you're a colored person in South Africa, you probably do because the Scottish kind of did their thing around here. But anyway, if you... No, so a lot of times I speak to, to so-called colored people and I say, okay, then your grandfather... You know, oh, he was from Scotland, okay? Galatians 4 verse 19 says, Oh my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. So what type of praying is Paul the Apostle talking about here? The word there when he talks about labor pains, he's saying I agonize over you. Now can you control your labor pains? They just come, don't they? Right? It's not something where you say, I'm deciding today I'll start having labor pains. Come on, please help me out, ladies. Right? But he made himself available. Why? He says, because you guys are my dear children. So there's a link between the burden we carry, the burden we release, and the nature of our relationship with the people we are praying for. He says, you are my dear children. Therefore, he had these labor pains. And he says, I agonize over you. The word there in the Greek is agonizomai. It's a powerful word that basically speaks of agonizing, groaning, until Christ is fully formed. And he says, I will continue doing this. Right till the end, right until my goal is achieved. I want to see Christ formed in you. That's carrying God's burdens. Amen? I remember from time to time, I'll make myself available in prayer and the Lord starts giving me nation flags, national flags. And I still remember one of the first ones I saw and that's why I spoke about Scotland. One of the first ones I saw, I remember it was in about 1998 or so. And I was praying and all of a sudden I started seeing Hey, that's the Scottish flag. Does God want me to pray for Scotland? Okay, let me pray for Scotland. Hey, that's Kenya. Does God want me to pray for Kenya? Oh, that's a map of England. Then I see this chick hatch, hatching. Chick, a baby chicken. Chick come hatching out of its egg. Right? I start seeing this. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm here in South Africa and God is wanting me to be praying for Kenya. God is wanting me to be praying for England. God is wanting me to be praying for Scotland. What's going on? God is looking for intercessors who will carry his burdens and who will pray with enthusiasm and with zeal for things that don't necessarily directly relate to them. And after you start birthing things in the spirit, he trusts you with more. And then one day, years later, you start seeing those very nations you were praying for years ago opening up to you. And you start experiencing God's favor in those nations. Are you hearing me? Yes. God is looking for intercessors. It's not something you can manufacture. God wants us to be those who will seek his face and will pray beyond things relating to ourselves number two one of the greatest marks of immaturity in prayer is only praying anxiety-based prayers ladies and gentlemen if you want to pray prayers that get get results shift from praying anxiety-based prayers and shift to faith-based prayers have you noticed that often when we're feeling anxious about a particular thing we then pray more about it 
Now it's fine to pray when you're feeling anxious. The Bible actually, actually gives us that instruction. We should pray instead of feeling anxious. But a lot of people remain in a place of anxiety and their prayers are stemming from that anxiety. Can you just pray for me? Feeling anxious. Oh, can you just pray again, please? Oh, can you just keep praying? Pray, 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 pray. How many of you know that God responds to faith and God responds to brokenness? It's important to study scripture to see what God responds to. There are a lot of people who weep a lot, but how many of you know that weeping alone doesn't get God's attention? If you look in scripture, it tells us if my people who call me by my name do what? That's brokenness. That's brokenness. How many of you know that you can cry, weeping lots of tears, but if your heart is proud, God doesn't respond. He resists the proud. Bible tells us that there are a whole lot of things that God specifically hates, and one of those things is the haughty spirit. You can come to God in brokenness and humility, but you can also come in your flesh in pride. We'll go into that just now. So how do we pray faith-based prayers? One of the things we do is we mix our prayers with thanksgiving. I'll show this to you. Philippians 4 verse 6 to 7. Philippians 4 verse 6 to 7. Not 67. 6 to 7. Okay. I'm just saying. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's how I'm reading that. Supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now this is interesting. What is supplication with thanksgiving? It's where you've learned to mix the requests, requests you're making to the Lord with thanksgiving. So when we give thanks to the Lord, we're not just giving thanks for what he has done. We're also thanking him in advance. And I believe that a lot of times in our prayer lives, we tend to just thank past tense. Instead of saying, God, I thank you. And then you go into the future because of what he will do. Now here's what faith often looks like. Very often when you're praying the prayer of faith, this is what it looks like. You are thanking God with lots of emotion because you believe he's already done it. Come on now. If I go to you and I say, please, can you give me a hundred rand? Right? Then you say, ah, no, okay, I'll come to your place and I'll give it to you this afternoon. What's my natural response? I begin to thank you. Why? Because I believe it's done because you've said so. Has it, have I got it yet? Have I got the hundred rand? No, I haven't. But I'm thanking you because I know it's done because you've said it. That's what happens with faith. Very often faith looks like this. You're thanking God for what he's already done in the spirit. Past tense. I'm trying to help you to see that sometimes we don't get results in our prayer because our prayers are not mixed with thanksgiving. And there's no breakthrough because it's not a faith-based prayer. Look at it in scripture for those of you who might still be doubting. Mark 11 verse 24. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you will receive it and it will be yours. No, doesn't say that. Believe that you 
You have received it and it will be yours. How can I believe I've received it if I can't see it? Because it first happens in the spirit. Believe that you have received it in the spirit and it will be yours. Believe that it's a done deal and it will be yours. It doesn't say believe that hopefully all things being equal, if the government is nice to you and everything works out and you experience favor with your boss and with your wife, then maybe perhaps if God is in a good mood, it will be yours. No. And I can tell you right now, a lot of Christians, when they pray, that's the mindset they have. There's so many ifs and buts and perhaps and all sorts of things. No. You believe you've received it. It's created first in the spirit realm. You believe it's already yours. And it will be yours. Amen? Amen. Instead of praying anxiety-based prayers with lots of enthusiasm but no faith. Psalm 5 verse 3. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. That confidence. In the morning, I lay my requests before you. And then what do I do? And wait expectantly. It's like a child. A child doesn't ask you for something and then they think you won't do it. There's that childlike faith. That's why we speak of childlike faith. Why? They wait expectantly and they actually think it will happen sooner. It's like, but you said you will. But you said you will. And because we often don't keep our promises, our children then grow up doubting God. Yeah. Ah! But how can God somehow be different to mom and dad? James 1 verse 6. But when you ask, okay, this is a key. Okay, yes, give me the tip. Give me the tip, James. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. We're already having testimonies. Remember the day we prayed for people in terms of jobs and so on? We're already having testimonies starting to come through. Okay. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by wind. You see, you can only have confidence when you know it's God's will. You know what I've noticed about a lot of people? The reason they don't pray with confidence is they haven't yet sought God's face to figure out is this God's will for me or not? That's the starting point. When you now know it's God's will, then the breakthrough comes. You can ask with confidence. My children aren't confident in asking me for things if they're not too sure if it's dad's will for them to have it. You following? If I'm with them and they say, daddy, can I have a packet of crisps? They know, okay, dad usually gets us crisps. That's fine. You know crisps. Potato chips. Macrisips. Crisps. You know what I'm talking about. We're on the same page, right? Okay. Crisps, <laughs> right? So they're confident about that. But would they have the same confidence if they say, hey, I know this is a no under 18 uh, computer game. But dad, please, please, can I have it? No, because they know the history that dad doesn't want them to play those kinds of games. So when we know that something is God's will for us and we're convinced, we then release prayers of faith. So maybe you're not praying in faith because you haven't yet sought his face to figure out if it's his will. 
Once you figure out the will of God and you know the will of God for your life, you can pray confident prayers. We'll go into that sometime. Is everyone following? Sometimes we ask for things that are already ours. I was doing a workshop recently and I asked the particular organization that was organizing it, to put it simply, I said, can I have this pack of cards of yours? It had interesting concepts on it. And the guy said, um, yes, Paul, but maybe you can also give me one of your books or something, you know? And I said, my brother, he's a Christian guy. I said in front of a number of people, I said, my brother, you're trying to negotiate with me something that's already yours. You could have already just asked me for a book. I would have sent you one. There didn't need to be some deal or anything. Then he says, ah, yeah, you're right. My brother, you're asking me for something that's already yours. Could it be that we're crying out to God and weeping concerning things that he's already given us? Are you following this morning? This is crucial in our walk with the Lord. So what is the first mark of immaturity? Just praying things that concern you alone. What is the second one? Anxiety-based prayers. Thirdly, you operate in the ministry of accusation. Now, who's the accuser of the brethren? Satan. The, the Bible tells us in Revelation 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God, before God, day and night has been hurled down. The accuser is Satan. But you know who's got access to the throne of God today? It's us Bible-believing Christians who play an intercessory function. But sometimes we misuse that function because we come before God and we speak about our brothers and sisters with the ministry of accusation. You see, if your wife does something wrong to you, God already knows what's happened. The prayer to pray is, let me cry out for God's mercies. Or Lord, please help her in this situation or help him in that situation so that we can have breakthrough. You come with the ministry of intercession, not the ministry of accusation. And if we want the Holy Spirit to help us, to stand by us when it comes to pray, prayer, to pray through us, we have to be praying in the same spirit as Jesus. And the Bible is very clear that Jesus is interceding on our behalf. So when you come before God with the ministry of accusation, the Holy Spirit doesn't help you. Perhaps other spirits who like the ministry of accusation then see that, oh, that's an opportunity for me to latch myself onto that person. Could it be the reason why we see a lot of intercessors wiped out by the enemy and all of a sudden have this spirit attached to them and we're like, what is that? I'm not talking here about imprecatory prayers. There's a place for that. Impregatory praying is where people are doing things that are anti-God. And you're basically saying, Lord, confuse whatever plans they have today because of their agenda. There's nothing wrong with that. You're confusing the plans and strategies of the enemy. But I'm talking about the prayer where you're praying for your brothers and sisters and you're standing in the gap. That should happen in the ministry of intercession, not the ministry of accusation. Amen?
I don't know about you, but I would love it if people are interceding for me, not accusing me before God. Imagine that. Makhta, how would you feel if you knew that the saints are like, Lord, you know what Makhta is doing to me? She is doing this and she is doing that. What does the ministry of intercession look like? Romans chapter 8 verse 34. This is what the mature prayer warrior does. He comes in the ministry of intercession. It says here, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. If you want the Holy Spirit to pray through you, he'll be praying what's on Jesus' heart. I want to know what is Jesus interceding for Scotland about? And then I want to pray the same thing. And that's what the Holy Spirit helps you to pray. I want to know what is Jesus interceding for Fazai about? I want to be praying the same stuff he's praying. Amen? Number four. The immature praying person uses vain words and repetition. They use vain words and repetition and they sound very spiritual. And we look at them and we kind of think, I want to be like that when I grow up. Because we are biblically illiterate and haven't seen what Jesus says about that. Matthew chapter 6 verse 7 says, And when you pray, yes Jesus, do not keep on babbling like pagans. What are pagans? What were the pagans? Pagans were religious people. But they were worshipping foreign gods. That's why we talk about they would even have pagan priests. And they would do all these incantations and all sorts of things. And Jesus is saying, don't be like them. Because you see, people became Christians. But what happened? They had all these guys worshipping idols around them. So you can become a Christian and then do the same thing that the people who are pagans are doing. Right? Except now you're trying to direct it to God. And Jesus here is saying, don't be like those people, right? For they think they will be heard because of their many words. I want to ask you a question this morning, saints. What gives you confidence when you are praying? Jesus here is saying, these guys, he could see the hearts of people. And he's saying, these guys think they'll be heard because of their, yeah. What, what makes you think God will hear you? I've said to you, God responds to faith. God responds to brokenness. He doesn't respond to you just because of the nice eloquence of your voice when you're praying. Are you following me? So you might look at someone else and say, wow, you know that guy's theology. Yo, when he prays, it's like he's dancing with the Lord. It's like it's, there's a rhythm. It's so poetic. Oh, that was a beautiful prayer, Pastor. Thank you for that beautiful prayer. God is not into beautiful prayers. He responds to faith. You can be praying in broken English or broken whatever. God hears it because he hears the language of faith. But some people don't open their mouths to pray in church because they don't think their English is good if they're in an English-speaking church. Am I scratching where it's itching? They think, I oh, know, I won't sound eloquent enough. Paul, I'm not good at public speaking. 
That means you're focusing so much on the people around you, not getting the breakthrough you want to get, and you're not focusing on God who listens to your faith. What I like, and this is the opposite of what we've just said, is that the mature praying person has no need to impress God. God responds to faith and brokenness. In Hebrews 4 verse 16, Michael quoted the scripture earlier on. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. What gives us that confidence? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in times of need. Someone who recognizes their need for mercy isn't someone who's perfect. But they can be confident. Let us with boldness enter the throne of grace where we can find mercy. So I'm bold even though I'm going to the throne of grace. Grace is unmerited favor. I don't deserve it. Could it be that sometimes you're confident when you pray based on the good deed you did yesterday? Could it be that you're confident when you come to a prayer meeting because of the good giving you did this month? I see it happen. It happens in our lives, doesn't it? You decide, oh yeah, we're giving money to Gop. Then you give and then you're proud of yourself that hey, I'm consistent in this thing. Ne? I'm sure God is pleased with me. And you're now more confident when you are praying because you feel good about your righteous acts. But when we look in scripture here, my brothers and my sisters, there's no need to impress God. Do you know what God is impressed with? Christ in you. We accept it on the basis of the blood of Jesus. His righteousness in us. That's what impresses him. That's why when God looks around, he's not looking and saying, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? Kathy? Okay. Were you nice to your son yesterday? Okay. Were you nice to your daughter? He's not asking those questions. He's looking and he's like, where's Christ? Is my son there? And based on that, we accept it. And our prayers are heard. That's what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. We are praying as if Jesus himself was there praying. Now you can't pray in the name of Jesus things that Jesus wouldn't pray. Are you hearing me? You can't say I'm praying such and such in the name of Jesus if Jesus wouldn't pray that prayer. That's why we have to find out what's on his heart. You can't say, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, can you please get rid of this wife of mine? She irritates me in the name of Jesus. No, because if you're saying in the name of Jesus, you're saying in Jesus' stead. We've no need to impress God. So my question to you is, what do you think causes God to hear you? Make sure your confidence is not in some formula. You know, you see these people in all these churches. Can I go there? Oh yeah, the water, the water. Yeah, then we are now selling the holy water of the man of God. Yeah, this one is going for X amount. This one, yeah, if you use the holy water and then the holy water and then the Where's the confidence now? I don't know about you, but Jesus, when he's speaking 
to his disciples, he says, you guys haven't prayed in my name yet. But from now on, you'll be praying in my name. And you'll get what you're asking for because you're praying in my name. The power is in the name of Jesus. Number five, a sign of immaturity in our praying is praying from a place of pride and self-righteousness. And you see it when people have to preach their prayers, explaining to God what he already knows. You, you ever have that when people are like, and Lord, as you know, uh, yeah, Lord, because um, with all that we are going through and now what happens is the government is now doing this and, the gov and then, yeah, also Lord, and just to remind you, and then, oh. you see, sometimes it can come from a place of pride. God wants us to pray from a place of brokenness that acknowledges the otherness of God. Are you following? Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14. It says, And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Let's not fall into that trap, please. And viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, some of you might not have used those words as you pray, but it's the mindset you have. And the Bible says the way God judges is he examines the heart. You are there. You know, you know your sister next to you has just fallen in sin. Your brother next to you is a con artist. And it, it boosts you. You're like, Lord, <laughs> oh, I don't know whether these guys' prayers are big answered, but God, you know I've got a direct line with you. And then we just want to give him the glory. So we say, Lord, I thank you. Yay! I thank you that you rescued me from that. And you rescued me from that. Thank you, Jesus. And then on that basis, we are confident. Now goes on to say, I fast twice a week. Ah, Lord, because I did that extra push in my fasting, I'm sure now. I'm sure now heaven is heard. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. One of the things I've learned in my life, when I'm speaking, and I do, I, I, the nature of my job, my business, ministry, everything, I'm always speaking, but I've learned to trust God. Because you can have all your facts right, everything in a all your ducks in a row, and speak to people, but it still falls flat. You can feel really anointed, but people are sleeping. 
those who are sleeping have just woken up. Hallelujah. Anyway, so we see here, we have to trust God. Then he says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. How many of you want to be exalted? How many of you want to be honored in society? Humble yourself. So what's your source of confidence? Make sure you don't get into the flesh. Trust God's promises, not your own eloquence or zeal. Matthew 6 verse 7. When you go into this, let me look at verse 6. It says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door. Why does he say close the door? He's saying it's a private matter. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The prophet Rick Joyner had an experience where there was an intercessor that came up to him. Because he was wondering, why are all these intercessors struggling in their lives? Why aren't they having breakthrough? He was thinking somewhere along those lines. And one intercessor came to him and says, oh, uh, you're a uh, Rick, I just wanted to let you know I was really praying for you for this and this and this. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, there goes her reward. There goes her reward. What is going on? If you're seeking honor from man, acknowledgement from man, God leaves you to your own devices. He's saying, okay, you are choosing that that's how you want to be rewarded. Fine, there, you'll be rewarded with that. They now know all the great things you've done. You'll be rewarded with that. But the reward that you get for the things done in secret, where you're doing it purely to the glory of God, is much greater and much weightier because it's a reward directly from heaven. There are times we say things to people in order to encourage them. Sometimes people are feeling lonely and we want to say, don't worry, I've been praying for you. Don't worry, I'm with you in this. It encourages them, it boosts them. But make sure even when you're doing that, you're not secretly desiring them to like you more because you've been praying for them. Are you hearing me? You're not secretly desiring them to respect you more because you're praying for them. There are many times when we're in prayer, my wife and myself, sometimes I, I can think of this, this uh, last week, we're there, she's busy making um, supper or whatever it is, and she says, oh, I've just seen so-and-so's face. Can we just pray for so-and-so? I've just seen her face. Can we just pray? And we just started interceding, just started praying. I'll tell the person afterwards who it was. I'll say, it was you. <laughs> but you know when it comes and it's random, but you know what? We've moved on from that. We didn't have to say, hey, what? Yeah, just so you know. <laughs> Happens to me a lot. I'm praying there. The faces come before me. The faces come before me. And sometimes it could be people who disrespect you, but they don't know what's happening in the background. But I know where my reward comes from. Are you hearing me?
Don't play, don't pray from a place of pride and self-righteousness. Number six, your revelation is limited to one aspect of God. And very often it's based on how you are discipled spiritually. So if you are discipled in an environment that only focused on God being this sugar daddy with a blessing button, you only have a revelation of Jehovah Jireh, my provider. That's the only aspect of God you see. You're also influenced by how you were raised because if you only knew your father as the one who provides and the one who's your disciplinarian, the one you're afraid of, you see people transferring that to God and that's the only way they know how to relate to God. If you trace your prayers and ask yourself, what type of prayers do I pray? Is it just about provision, provision, provision? And then, oh God, I'm sorry I've sinned, I'm sorry I've sinned, I'm sorry I've sinned. God is going to punish me, I've sinned. If it's limited to just those two things, it's a reflection of the limitation you have in how you view God. Now, if you look in scripture, there's something extremely powerful. The Bible shows us that God has a manifold nature. In Ephesians 3 verse 10, it says, His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What are we talking about? That word manifold is the word polypoikilos in the Greek. You know how Joseph had that multicolored dream code? God is a bit like that. He's got many sides to him. He's not just Jehovah Jireh. We embrace his provision. But he's also the Lord who's our righteousness. He's also the Lord who's my shepherd. Amen? He's also the Lord who's the mighty one. He's also the God of the breakthrough. He's, many, he's got many different dimensions to him. And you become mature in prayer when you pray from a revelation of each of these facets of the living God. Amen? For some of you, you're in a stage in your life where you have to know him as mighty, as majestic, where you have to embrace his otherness, where you have to know him as the most high God. For some of you, you think he's a stingy God where you have to literally twist his arms to get a breakthrough. No, his name is El Shaddai. Literally, that means the full-breasted one. That's the language there, okay? The God who's more than enough. The super abundant God. Sometimes we pray prayers that are puny because of a limitation in the revelation we have of how big God is. How audacious are your prayers? The mature prayer warrior prays audacious prayers. Prayers that are not limited to his background. You know, some of you, because you're a little ahead of your siblings in this life, you're satisfied with the prayers that you're praying. Yet God is saying, I've got so much more for you. So much more. Do you know who I am? Our prayers should stem from a revelation of understanding the nature of God. Amen. I'm going to end with number seven. You only pray one type of prayer. You only pray one type of prayer. In the coming weeks, my wife is going to teach us on the different types of prayer. How many of you know that we've got different types of prayer? But many of us only pray one type of prayer. Is it that you're only praying petitionary prayer? Petitionary is where you're just making a request to the Lord. I want this, I want this, I want this. The Bible shows us very clearly that there are different types of prayers, right? If you look in scripture, 
Ephesians 6 verse 18. The mature prayer warrior embraces all kinds of prayer and knows when to use them. Sometimes there's supplications we make. Sometimes there are decrees we make where we announce things in the spirit. Sometimes there are thanksgivings. Look what it says in Ephesians 6, 18. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with, with all kinds of prayers and requests. Have you limited the type of prayers that you pray? Now this is so important. Remember I said to you at the start, Sometimes we don't get results. Why? Because we're not praying properly. If you're in a battle, if you're in a war, will you use a submarine if your enemy has got aircraft? Are you following me? Will you use an army tank if you're dealing with guys who are underwater? Or in a ship somewhere in the middle of the sea? No. You will lose the battle if you're not using the right weapon. And I believe that God is taking us to a place in our lives where we know how to use our weapons of righteousness. Where we know, is it time for me to be on a horse with a sword? Is it time for me in the spirit to be in a submarine? Is it time for me to be in a fighter jet? God has given us different types of prayers that we can pray and it's crucial for us to be able to use them. You know what is interesting? Some of you remember John G. Lake. God used him greatly in healing the turn of the century. He was um, around here in this country. The guy who started the AFM church and so on, right? He was from Spokane, all right? He was from out, uh, out in the States. And it is interesting because he was used phenomenally in healings and so on. And in one of his letters, he wrote back to the guys in the States the type of results he was getting. And he says, you know what the key for breakthrough for us has been? Instead of praying intercessory prayers when it came to healing the sick, we had shifted gears into warfare. How many of you that often when Jesus was praying for the sick, he didn't actually pray, did he? He just announced it. He just rebuked it. Now, it's so important for us to have that, that kind of understanding. When is it time for me to pray the prayer of faith? When is it time for me to rebuke a spirit? Sometimes, and you guys won't always know this, but sometimes when we are praying for people and people come for prayer for healings, I'll see a particular vision when I'm praying for someone and it indicates, I start seeing weapons of war and things like that, and it indicates Paul shift gears and begin to rebuke a spirit because you're dealing with a demonic spirit. There are times when Jesus would pray for someone and would, the person would come and you just say, you deaf and dumb spirit, I rebuke you. Where some of us would be spending hours saying, Lord, please help them to start speaking. Lord, please help them to start hearing. Oh, Lord, I cry out to you. Now I'm fasting for it, Lord. Lord, please help them to start hearing. Are you following? It's important to know which weapon to use when. And I promise you it determines the breakthrough. There are many situations where people just think like, no, but God sees your heart and because you are praying into it, therefore. No. He wants us to be skilled snipers. If we're dealing with this particular spirit, how many of you know when Jesus said, hey, no, this one, this one will only come out with prayer. You have to be a praying person to get this one out. Why did he say that? It's because he wants us to seek his face to know how to pray accurately. Otherwise, you'll just be like, oh, okay, yeah, breakthrough for everyone. Doesn't matter how you pray. 
does matter. Amen?